Welcome to Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast, where we will help you eliminate the noise and focus on the information and inspiration that you need to transform your business, impact supply chain success, and enable you to replace risky inventory with valuable insights. Join your Tech Talk host, Corinne Bursa, the 2020 Supply Chain Pro to Know of the Year. With more than 25 years of supply chain and technology expertise and the scars to prove it, Corinne has the heart of a teacher and has helped nearly 1,000 customers transform their businesses and tell their success stories. Join the conversation, share your insights, and learn how to harness technology innovations to drive tangible business results. Buckle up, it's time for Tech Talk, powered by Supply Chain Now. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome Supply Chain Movers and Shakers. I'm Corinne Bursa and I wanna thank you for joining us for the first Tech Talk live stream. Today, we're gonna to discuss a topic that I am sure is gonna inspire you, no matter what level you're working at today. We're gonna to discuss five leadership attributes that are gonna help you to drive supply chain success. And I'm so happy that Scott Luton is here with me. You guys all know Scott. He is the founder of Supply Chain Now. And something you may not know about Scott, but he spends a ton of time studying leadership and innovation and team motivation. And he's not just about words, he's all about actions. So I'm so glad, Scott, you're here with me today to help me on my first ever hosting of a live stream, but also to share your perspectives as we talk with our guest, Jake Barr, who is the CEO at Blue World Supply Chain Consulting. Thanks so much. I have a big guest. We've got a big topic. We've got a big host in Corinne Bursa. So, so much to get into. And of course, the community is going to show up and they're going to bring it as always on, a, on this big topic. But, you know, just one quick comment before we get things going. You know, there perhaps has never been a greater time for real leadership, right? Practical, results-based, no lip service, you know, that type of leadership and folks are willing to be not just change agents, but bridge builders. It's really important. So I'm looking forward. We had a, a blast on the pre-show <laughs> conversation here today. So folks, we're, we're going to say hello to, to folks in a, in a second, but y'all are in for a wonderful, no holds barred, no pun intended, straightforward, frank conversation on a critical topic. So Corinne, thanks for letting me be a part of it. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to tackle this topic without you. Just a little bit about Jake before we bring him in and, and get things rolling. But Jake Barr and I have known each other in the industry, in the supply chain industry for, let's just say, 20 years or so. We were both very young children at the time. But Jake is widely recognized as a supply chain industry leader. He is one of those go-to supply chain professionals that has been at the forefront of just a number of different initiatives and in vetting the latest technology or proving out process improvements. And in his career with Procter & Gamble, he was a go-to resource that they put you know, in leadership positions to drive a number of different initiatives, whether it was around 
RFID or consumer-driven supply networks or the first ever kind of breakthrough delivery of an end-to-end supply chain transformation initiative for Procter & Gamble. And those are just a few things that I'm aware of in his background. So I think he's going to bring a lot of good practical examples and discussion to the conversation today. And so, Scott, between you and all of your leadership background and research and practice over decades, and Jake, I think our community is going to contribute a few new ideas as well. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. We are too. And, and you know, when you study leadership, I think folks are well known for, for stealing tips and tricks and, and, and incorporating that into their leadership style. And I think we're going to offer up a great opportunity to do that with Jake's conversation and the whole conversation here today. But speaking of which, you said community. Yeah. Folks are here in droves. Say hello to a few folks. Are you ready, Corinne? Absolutely. Everybody buckled up? Bring them. So, of course, Peter is with us. Peter, I bet you've got no shortage of input on this. So, hello to you. Great to have you via LinkedIn. Rashid is with us via LinkedIn, and we're here. We're here. We're available. So, hopefully, you've brought your point of view here to the conversation, Rashid. Muhammad via YouTube. Great to have you back, Muhammad. I think you've been with us on a couple of recent live streams. Of course, Rhonda in beautiful Arizona, I believe, here today. Great to have you. Looking forward to your take on all things leadership. Uh, let's see here. We've got Hassan via LinkedIn. Great to have you here, Hassan. Muhammad, great to have you here, Muhammad. We've got Greg White lurking somewhere. I'm trying to find his. Ah, here we go. Tech Talk Live. So uh, Greg's got <laughs> Greg's got his popcorn. His Hopefully his Diet Coke. It's a little bit early. We'll see. But looking forward to, to his comments there from what we call the cheat seats. And then finally, Thor, great to have you here via LinkedIn and Dr. Wericott, great to have you here via LinkedIn as well. Look forward to your perspective. So Corinne, with no further ado, we want to welcome in our guest, right? All right. Yeah. Should we swoosh him in? Jake, this may be the first time you've ever been swooshed in, but get ready. We'll have the team bring you in. Jake Barr, CEO of Blue World Supply Chain Consulting. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, welcome, Jake. We're so glad to have you here with us. Uh, it's it's a real pl- privilege to be here. And quite frankly, I got to unpack all the baggage from the comments. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they're, they're getting active. So they're just getting started. They're just getting warmed up right now. But, as um, am I. <laughs> look out. So I mentioned, Jake, that you had a really exciting career with Procter & Gamble, but I didn't really mention much about what you're doing today with Blue World Supply Chain Consulting. Can you tell our audience, give us a flavor for the types of projects and engagement and coaching that you're delivering to the industry today to help them be inspired to take those next steps? Sure. So we do business across six different industry verticals. So everything from industrials to CPG to automotive, fast fashion, farm and life sciences and cell gene therapy businesses, as an example. So we've got teams that specialize across that resources that got depth. The projects really, as Scott was saying, are everything from strategic design of the networks to rethinking the how to go to market with the business model. I mean, let's be honest, we're in a a period of massive 
both business model shakeup as well as uh, people having to step back and rethink their entire operational model. So it's kept us busy. Last year literally was 40% bigger than even the year before, which is which is yep. a, wow. a record for us. But we are most pleased by continually being recognized as what we, you know, the banner, banner of supply chain pros to know. So you know, we, Absolutely. Absolutely. we rested on our expertise. We are in good company. And, you know, along those lines, Jake, there was a McKinsey study late last year that talked about the transformation that's occurring in the industry and that in the course of about nine or 10 months, many companies actually achieved or were forced to uh, adopt what historically would have been four or five years of transformational change. So we're excited to get your perspective based on on how you're serving these various markets. Scott, what do you think? Yeah, well, you know, we are digesting uh, change faster, perhaps than ever before. You know, NRF, we spent some time there and it was part of every single conversation, including many huge, big retail behemoths. One in particular said that you know, we've digested five months of digital transformation in five weeks. And that's really, I mean, in many ways, what it feels like, you know, Corinne, I, f- I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but we've also talked about a great quote that came out a few months back where the technologies that were on the horizon in 2025 are being implemented in 2020, as it were. So, uh, you know, it takes incredible leadership to be able to make that change and implement that change and that transformation happen with the people and with the people successfully. And that's where I really appreciate where Jake's going to be speaking to here throughout this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one area as well where an organization like Jake's can add value, right? Because sometimes you need that outside perspective or motivation to help you work through some of those priorities or identify where to focus and get some results, both in the short term but also in the longer, more transformational change that the business needs. All right, with that said, should we get started and jump into- We should, we should with one editorial comment on top of what Scott has already offered up to the audience. Absolutely. Scott, there's no question that the amount of in pace of change has been at an all time high, okay? But I will debate the success with which the fire hose has actually been consumed. Mm. In fact, I'm going to tell you there are a ton of companies out there that have run like hell to try and start implementing transformational change, but they were doing it in such a tactical way that the tinker toys are about to fall apart on some of them. Okay. <laughs> because if it, you're... <laughs> it truly, it truly lacked. And it's a great way for Karen to play it into the next point of, they did not connect the, the real structural change they were about all the way through and cascaded in through the operations so that every single individual employee were actually connected to why are we doing it? What are we expecting the output to be? What role am I to play in it? I could go on and on. But yep. before we do that, can we all at least take a breath and say, hey, a moment for pause. Mm. The real frontline workers in the healthcare industry and in the supply chain profession have kept to a great extent the world operating over a very tenuous last year, right? And by the way, we're not through this thing. 
That's right. So anyone that's giving you a projection that you're right, hey, you know, March, April, horse crap. Okay. We're into deep late fall before you're going to see any kind of level of stability on a general basis across multiple industry verticals. Love that. Appreciate you sharing. We're very, we're very passionate about, about the recognition and the incredible job that, that the supply chain workforce in the end, no matter what your role has been, has really been protecting our psyche and keeping things moving. So excellent call out Jake on the front end and Corinne, we'll start with the first of five attributes in just a second. I want to get a couple of comments in Claudia. Great to have you here. As always, I look forward to your thoughts on leadership and, and to our community. Hey, y'all, y'all tell us, tell us what you're thinking. You're going to have a lot of interesting intellectual fodder from Jake and, and, and practical mm-hmm. insights from Jake and Corinne on this conversation. Give us your response. Let's see here. As Aliyah is with us and as Aliyah, the memo is on on the way to you. So let us know what you think of that great read by our friend Minda Hearts. And let's see here, Peter. See, Jake, you already got stuff coming. Peter say, saying change today is the same as having a drink of water through a fire hose. So you like that fire hose is going to get a lot, a lot of attention. And one final one, Claudia says, Tinker Toy Mechanic, new job title. Love it. <laughs> and, you know, Corinne and Jake, as I've learned, we got to, you know, some folks may not know Tinker Toys. That's right. Think of little pieces of wood and little dials of wood and they, and you stick the wood in the holes. And, and from that, it's like kind of like old Legos. You build structures and to Jake. Think point, of a DNA model. You're building the DNA of the company. Rebuilding the DNA of the company. Okay. That's right. All right. So thank, thank you for that Tinker Toy. It's going to stick throughout and y'all get ready and be buckled up. All right. So Corinne, where are we starting our conversation? I want to start at the top of the list, right? So we're going to cover five leadership attributes that are driving supply chain success. And you're going to get the perspective of our special guest, Jake Barr, and also Scott Luton, and be sure I'll be chiming in too along the way. So Jake, kick us off with the first attribute that you've seen that's necessary to really drive change and drive success over time. Yeah, you've got to start with the end in mind. I mean, that's the, mo- that's the simplest articulation that I can. And so we typically will walk in into, you know, large scale companies and, and mid scales as well, mm-hmm. who, who are in a one of those come to Jesus moments, right? Either the stores have shut down, the suppliers have shut down, they've got radical shutdowns in the operation, could be COVID or non-COVID related, which quite frankly, it, it's triggered all kinds of things, but the reality is folks have difficulty connecting the compelling business need, CBN as I call it, to what they want out of the transformation effort. It's not just good enough to say, hey, we have an issue. It's called, we need to do the following, could be in order to survive, right? Mm-hmm. It could be to reshape where and how we go to market because the old way isn't available to us anymore. Retail brick and mortar sh- stores have been closing by the thousands, right? So the challenge, and I always get into it with the executives, is they'll give me, I call it the in-game goals. We want to serve our consumers in less than a day turnaround time. I go, so what? Okay, because the real reality is if you can't translate it down to what does it have in terms of an impact to the person working on a production line, a person that's managing the customer 
relationship basis. The person who's managing the procurement of the materials or the kitting and assembly of the final good that gets ordered and you want this rush right. delivered for. Because unless you get engagement of all those folks in an impassioned way, and it's actually not that difficult to do, to be able to translate, here's some business deliverables mm -hmm. into some very specific pieces of output that we want to accomplish. You know, an example of that is I was working with one firm and they had a desire to start segmenting the way in which they offered levels of service across right. their channel partners. Now, part of that was because they were early in the pandemic and they were seeing this huge shift in where consumers were buying from them, right? And so we were going through that. And yet one of the biggest struggles they had was when you decomposed and went all the way down to the factory floor and there was a need to actually do changeovers faster because that channel needed different sizes and packaging types, but no one had gone down into the factory to explain, hey, the reason why we're asking for you to do this work is because this is actually where we're selling now. It literally, so we literally walked in, created a message track with them, started to do some changes on how we were changing and connecting shop floor to supply chain executives and their reliability on the floor took off. It's not guys, we all, in most companies, you have hardworking men and women to come to work every day and they're looking to make a contribution. But unless someone takes the time to right. break and distill down the magic words of the output of corporate objective into actionable sound bites, it doesn't connect. It never connects. So that's an example of the first one. So we call so it really compelling business need. Love yep. that. And I think it's important to also mention that consumers, employees, business partners, you name it, we're being inundated with information right now. So being able to be really succinct to the point and present that compelling business case is, is perhaps more valuable than ever before. So Corinne, you're going to follow up on Jake's point there. Oh, absolutely. So I think that that's, that's very important, right? It, it's a lot of these topics are very complex topics, but you need to boil it down to a succinct message. But I think Jake's point is, is super important is we have to tie that compelling business need, that reason for change to every level of the organization because every employee uh, will play a part in making it a real change, not just a temporary change. And the attitude with which they approach it will be completely different if they understand why that happens. Yeah, Corinne, this, yeah. this goes for whether you're talking profit businesses or nonprofit businesses, as an example. So I, look, I work with a local food bank, okay? Mm -hmm. Because God forbid, across the globe right now, we have a, a global food availability crisis as well, it, whether it's clean water, food to eat, whatever. So I was working with the food bank, but yet, so they had seen a crush. I mean, we're talking literally thousands more individuals coming, looking for support per day, per week, as mm. the pandemic got worse. And they had the same issue. It was trying to translate how and why they were trying to make a couple of process changes so they could increase the throughput so that they could serve more people who were in desperate need. So mm. again, Let's drop the crap. It has nothing to do whether you're for profit or nonprofit. 
it's down to clarity of the mission and translation of that into a tangible element to enroll people to actually go do change. I love that. We've got nonprofit business leaders right here, like Claudia Freed, and we've got plenty of for-profit business leaders here. I want to read just a couple of quick comments here. Rhonda, who is our resident uh, professional psychologist, doctor, uh, Dr. Bimpenza Zimmerman. I'm, I'm probably getting it all wrong, but she says a great point here. Our lives are definitely in the process of transformation. Got to look at the bright side while coming to terms with a different world. I think that's such a great point. And we, as business leaders, we've got to recognize that folks are, to, to, to what both of you are mentioning, are coming to terms with different realities. David completely agrees with Rhonda. I, I do I do as well. Now, let's see. Claudia is leading a nonprofit, and she says what we call mission and purpose in the nonprofit sector. Let's see here. Peter says 100% get to the floor or the service counter to experience the needs. Then the solution comes a lot easier. Ownership of the solution at all levels. And then one final comment here. David says getting buy-in from the production floor starts with them knowing what the objective is, which is what Jake had mentioned. If they understand the why, they will make it happen. And, you know, David, we've got some of the best people during my time in manufacturing, very similar to my time in military, the best people, they understand what has to happen, that what that mission is, they're going to get it done. And, and it's, so, it's such it's a generality, but I've seen it time. and We all have seen it time and time again. Yep. All right. So where are we going next, Corinne? Yeah, and I absolutely agree with David. At every level of the organization, it is it is super important to understand the why, not just the what that's happening. So, Jake, let's move on to attribute number two that you've identified that you think is really critical to helping companies transform their supply chain businesses. Yeah, and I refer to it as the, and again, we coined it over the last several years, outside-in mentality. And probably the simplest way to describe it is just to say, look, we all live in a pressure cooker world where we are heads down, ass up all day long trying to deliver on the business outcomes. Well, guess what? Stuff is changing all around us constantly, right? You must have a prophetic passion at going after and understanding what are the breakthroughs that are being delivered around you. And it has nothing necessarily always to do with your business model. I, 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 time and time again, many of the companies that I work with have been so isolated in their vertical that they have insular thinking around what change and transformation to recreate and actually drive their business could look like. And part of it is actually getting them to embrace, hey, if you talk to me about what you're trying to do with either the patient or the consumer, then we'll talk to you about where are the best ideas. And oh, by the way, nine times out of 10, some of the nuggets come from outside their direct industry vertical. So we brought things to bear that are happening, whether it's in fast fashion or retail apparel, or even cell gene therapy and life science into a CPG context or vice versa, because you have to look at when you're trying to recreate, again, we're in the midst of chaos. We're trying to recreate the way in which we either run the business every day, the way we reach the channel partners we either sell through or the consumers or the patients that we're serving. And you can't just have people that have been trained to look at what, how is our current operation running? You've got to steal and 
zealously reapply anything you can grab your put your arms around to your specific business issues. So we see it repeatedly, especially and some of it got triggered by just the dynamics of the pandemic, right? So that yeah. folks woke up one morning and stores all over the world were closed. Well, do we either do we go out of business or do we uh, find a new way, a new market for how to do that? Now that can be e-commerce. That can be through secondary distribution. That can be through neighborhood drop-offs. It, it, so there was a whole variety of things that we literally brought in example-wise to actually help folks start recreating their go-to-market models. And again, fire hose again, back to Scott. Hey, wait, uh, well, that's something I would have done in five years. Oh, right. crap, I needed to do it in T minus 48 to 72 <laughs> hours. If I really wanted to be able to pay next week, next month's payroll, how in the world do we swallow all that at, at once, right? So you had to give it to them in bite-sized chunks so that they could embrace it and not be overwhelmed by it. So I call it outside in mentality starts with a simple thing of saying, keep my mind open to how business is being conducted across these various verticals and emerging channels because pivot points happen to us all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love this outside in thinking. Like I, I love the idea of looking at your business from the perspective of how you serve your customers. So how does a customer view you and view your business and what do they really need from you? And do you understand that? But then also kind of turning that around and thinking of yourself working with your suppliers. And how can you be a better customer of those suppliers as well, right? So that whole collaborative framework. But Scott, one, one of the best examples of this is kind of one that's that's here in the South. And that is that some of the vaccine drive-throughs have actually been inspired by, by Chick-fil-A. And the changes that Chick-fil-A has made in their drive-through process through the pandemic so that they can serve a higher number of customers because they're not doing in-restaurant dining. So I love the fact that they took a model, a drive-through model in a completely different industry and applied it to how do we serve individuals in getting vaccinated or getting tested around COVID. So your thoughts there? Well, I think there's, there's, I think there's life lessons to be learned from Chick-fil-A drive-through, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, and, and just the culture of that company. I know, I know it's, it's cliche and, and some of the folks have talked about it for years, but it's, it's so real and you experience it every time, but much more importantly, we've got a lot, a lot of comments here from the community. I want to get weighed in. Peter says, Dave, uh, David's on fire. And I agree with him. <laughs> David says that regardless of your position in the company, everyone wants to feel like they can contribute to the value that the company yep. generates. As Elias says, the plus is that crisis often exposes needs and sometimes needs you don't want to, you've been ignoring, it's been under the carpet for so long. Greg. Never, ever let a good crisis go, to waste. go by without taking advantage of it. Yeah, I'll tell you. Greg says, this is gold. And also, why do I think Jake would be using stronger language if he weren't on the air? Love the passion. Now, to it makes that point, no difference whether I'm on the air or not. Right. Well, Greg says, don't cage a tiger, let him run. And David, let's see here. David's comment says, Psst, live a little, Amanda. 
the supply chain now community are not cupcakes. We can handle strong language and opinions. I agree with you. Uh, a couple of other quick comments here. T squared who, who him and Muhammad here lately hold down the fort on YouTube says leaders in this current volatile landscape have to be more amorphous and flexible in the meeting, the day to day in meeting the strategic goals. Excellent point there. T squared. And then finally, Dr. Wericut says transformation should be built with people and for people. Alignment between leadership and operational team is key to delivering any successful projects. A lot of transformation fails due to the lack of ability to connect, relate, and integrate with organizational cultures. Okay. Oh, it's a great transition to the next point. Oh, my God. Let me unleash me. Come on. (laughs) That's it. Let's hear it, Jake. Bring it on. Okay. So the next one, it's perfect lead-in. Guys, the third is what I call the ability to experiment and learn to fail. It's, It's called failure is a must. And here's why I mean that. Okay. Because at the end of the day, look, organization cultures, as you've seen through the comments, tend to be a very staid thing over time. They are built in, they are learned, and that culture can kill anything in terms of a transformation effort. Now, I also say, again, because of this, never let a great crisis go unused, okay? So we're in the midst of this. And one of the things, the magic about it is that I have been able to see and and work with a, a lot of large companies who for the first time are starting to appreciate that it is okay for us to actually use sprint methodology, start up, do lead models where we're learning our way through a new process, a new way of, you know, changing the way we're doing the service uh, or the fulfillment or whatever. Learn, incubate, incorporate, rehash, and go, right? It does not have to be four decimal points perfect. In most company cultures, the fourth decimal point is killing folks. They are, it's literally shutting down the ability to accept and lean into the transformations that are needed. Now, the great news is, again, because of the moment that we're in, there are so many company leaders that are completely disillusioned with the ability of the organization to flex. Okay, yeah. So you've got to take advantage of that moment in time where we're at because your ability to actually go in and start to lean in. Because let's not forget, guys, when we're in trying to drive transformation and a change, okay? And again, with the willingness, people's resistance on a normal level to change. They want the predictability of everything I know how to do. You've got to remember that learning through a small lead model gives you the ability to experiment on multiple levels, a process level, perhaps a technology level, Yep. And importantly, a decision-making level. Here, here's what I know to be true about all the changes that we work with with most of these companies. If you, in fact, change a process and you automate or digitize a piece of work, right, because of the speed and the reaction time of the chaos that's happening in the market, you have literally made the entire machine come to a screeching halt. Why? Because... The amount of human energy it used to take to put together a plan to even come to a point of reckoning to make a decision has been sped up to the point where you now have people able to quickly make a decision, but turning around and going, wait a minute, who do I talk to? 
we have to make a decision. We've got the data. It didn't take me three days to put it together. Oh, crap, what do I do? So we literally spend time talking through how do we change that? How do you create a cadence and a sequence to where yep. you don't create more chaos? Because, okay, great, you can automate some steps, have people empowered and have more information to make decisions, but then Corinne is not available to, to make the call. Well, Jesus, maybe we decide in the decision-making process. Corinne's no longer involved in the process for making that call. We're going to empower our people to this level of decision to go make that. So you can step your way through that. The, the important piece of it is to realize it's okay to experiment and fail. You learn through that. You learn both important pieces about your process gaps, your technology disconnects, and importantly, you also learn what's going to be required culture-wise to actually go change the environment and the way the business had been operating. Yep. Yep. I'm going to stop you there because I think this is a really important point, right? I think this be willing to fail, if you will, is critical and to experiment and look at innovation opportunities. I think companies in general struggle here around not just keeping the business going, but thinking and testing and trying different techniques and different methods. Scott, you're pretty good at, at pivoting quickly. What's your thoughts on the topic? Well, She's you saying know, you're a failure, Scott. I'm just saying. Okay? I did not. Hey, you know what? Uh, if you're an entrepreneur and you haven't failed at something, then you're really not, you're not doing what you're not you're trying. Doing. Yeah, you're not trying. You're not. You're not pushing the envelope. You're playing it too safe, and you're probably not growing at a, at a at a record pace. So it, it is important that we, we're our model is built on experimentation, right? It's so important, content wise, leader wise, topic wise, geography wise, voice po point of view wise, all of that. But this notion of failure is an important one. You know, last week we had some interesting uh, debate, Elon Musk, and I'm not sure. And then there's lots of different views on Elon Musk. However, he had a great quote that I believe in wholeheartedly is that failure has got to be an option because if it's not an option, we're playing it way too safe and too conservative. Now, I agree with that. But Peter, who's in the comments here, made a great counterpoint. You know, Peter spent 30 years in the aviation industry where failure meant lives were lost. And, and so, yes, that's a, a and that's a great point, Peter. But there's there's some there's. Some, yeah, that, let's make sure we're not uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. We're, we're not talking about uncalculated risk. Right. Or failure. So you're you're modeling your lead model with a level of understood range of calculated risk and whether it's acceptable or not. And, and obviously, look, I we do consulting in industries that are mission critical. So in life science and pharma, okay, we're not taking risk on elements that are going to affect the efficacy right. of the product or the the patient outcome, as an example, right? So I agree with them wholeheartedly on that. But let, let's, let's be clear, it's measured, it's calculated. So it's how you scale what it is you are going to actually go affect, right? So how big the lead model is, how many processes are tied to it so that you can get your arms around right. the implications of it. I would further argue that I want to share some comments here from the, the community, but you know, the best strategies are built on a series of micro failings, right? Cause you're making these little tweaks to a strategy. And then once you've got some wins and successes, lots of feedback and some failures, you've got a better sense of what's going to be successful almost and regardless of the, of the sector and business model. So Jake, I appreciate that distinction because leadership 
if anything's key to leadership, it is savviness and nuance and, and understanding that every discussion around failure is not equal to every other discussion around failure. So let's share a couple of comments here. There's a lot, lot of them here, but I'm going to share a few. Greg says, in my early days, around two decades ago, Corinne, we called it <laughs> internal consulting. Someone always maintaining that external perspective, working hard to avoid going native and maintaining okay. what I call the blessing of naivete. I've heard that a thousand times to allow them to look at the company and ask why. why? Excellent, mm -hmm. excellent point. Eddie, I think I shared this earlier. Fail fast and fix fast. Lean Six Sigma mantra. Perfection think, of the. I think Eddie is joining us from, from Glasgow today, if I'm not I mistaken. I think you're right. I yeah. think you're right. Uh, Glasgow, Scotland. So, Eddie, yeah. great to have you here with us. He also agrees with a lot of what you shared, Jake. David did as well. Nairobi says failure stories are as important to share as successful stories, but most of us only focus on sharing our successful stories. Imagine how many people could learn from our failures as well. Nairobi, that's an excellent point. And we need to talk more about failures and, and as leaders embrace that it's, it's okay and should be encouraged to talk about failures. I love her point. And I'm going to tell you, if you want a leadership lesson, I hope all of your audience takes away a great leader talks about their own personal failures. Mm. Be mm. very clear. A great yep. leader talks about their own personal failures. One who does not, you should be concerned with. Excellent point. And I've got, to, there's a few others we can't get to right, right this second, but keep it coming. We'll try yep. to circle back. So Corinne, where are we headed next? So, and I would agree with Nairobi. I think sometimes I learn a heck of a lot more from a failure than I do from a success. And you kind of remember it longer <laughs> when you get the scars to kind of prove out maybe how to make the next step or change it or innovate from there. So, so far we have discussed three of the five attributes for supply team leaders to, to drive success. So we've talked about a compelling business need and making sure that that's understood across the business. We've talked about outside in thinking, right? Looking at our business as our customers would see us, and looking at other industries for inspiration as well. And then we've just wrapped up our conversation on don't be afraid to fail or failure is an option. And trial, you know, it looking at these opportunities, testing out a range of possibility and learning from each of those failures or incremental improvements or success out of the gate, and how do you replicate that going forward? So I'm going to go back to Jake. Jake, what is our fourth attribute that you have found in the leaders that have been really successful in driving supply chain change? I, I call it the ability to define agility. Now, that may sound a bit strange, but let me land the plane. Okay. At the end of the day, every business leader has a responsibility to continuously improve his or her operation and organization, right? Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, I would submit to you that one of the strengths of a leader is not tactical responsibility for today, but a profound responsibility for being accountable for blowing up everything you're doing and reinventing it perhaps every three years. And to do that, it means you must be able to understand and articulate what it means to be agile with the company's business model. You've got to understand what winning looks like. You have to be able to define it. 
for the organization. You've got to be able to break it down and articulate it in such a way that it's crisp and clear enough for people to be able to go take action on it, to be able to understand that, yeah, I understand the way we're running the production lines or I understand how we're running our distribution process or fill in the blank, but staying static, you do not win, okay? It's a guaranteed hang the shingle going out of business side, guys. I can show you businesses that just simply refuse to change and be agile enough to stay relevant. And they're just counting time before they've either reached non-relevance or they're gone, okay? Mm -hmm. So you've got to have this constant zeal for redefining what agility means for remaining relevant. Okay. And so it, people struggle with it because again, they are, they're either insular in how they think, or they're not willing to step back and look at their entire value stream of how they offer their good or service and say, again, I'm willing to pull the pin on the bomb and blow it all up. But you know, yeah, Jake, I think adding to that, I think, from a corporate standpoint, there's less, there's been less appetite, generally speaking, in, in recent years for that blowing things up and finding a better way and disrupting how they've accumulated success. I think that's, that's an important distinction. And also I would love to get you and Corinne's take and the community's take on this. I think, you know, accumulated, several- I, I love this, Scott, I'm sorry to interrupt, but accumulated success. I've heard it over and over from many companies. And I want to puke when I hear it. Okay, it's poison. It's poison. It's poison. The relevance. Uh, let, like let's the let me let me clarify the comment. The relevance of yesterday is worth applause for what we've accomplished. It has nothing to do as a leader with staying relevant. I'm with you. Yeah, and it's it's also perhaps one of the toughest things to do and toughest decisions to make and a biggest risk to, to take on is if you've been successful, you know, it's like uh, when Steve jobs came back to Apple second time, I've read it in a couple of different magazines. One of the first things he did, and regardless of your take on Steve jobs, the guy's a, a wonderful leadership study. But one thing, first things he did is he's move in all that, all those accomplishments are being celebrated in the Apple museum there in the corporate headquarters. He put all that stuff in the basement or wherever, wherever it was going out of the site, Jake, to your point, exactly. Cause it, all their, what they had done, and how they had innovated and uh, and failed and whatever to build their accumulated success it didn't matter, you know, it didn't matter. And and so one last point, and sorry, one last point here because I think you know we we studied the um, Sears story, which is also a fascinating one, right? But retail in general is a fascinating sad. one. Yeah, it is sad. Um, but I would argue that early on in the 19th century and the early 20th century, you know, being static was far less risky, especially for the big titans. But in this age, in this day and age where folks are, you've got all this information at your fingertips and folks can figure out your your secret sauce and your your approach at doing things and then outwork you and out, out serve the customer. I mean, there is, it is extremely risky to be static to your point, Jake, these days, perhaps never before. So yeah. sorry for a, little- a great, a great leader is a student. Uh, I call it a student of the game. They are a voracious learner. And they, they live eat, sleep, learning outside the box. Mm. They're always trying to find insights and angles and thinking of them. It's just 
incredibly important to this day. Look, all I do now is help companies, right? But to this day, I get up and the first thing I do is I try and learn something new that's going on in another vertical or in another process area or something else. You absolutely must because if you truly, I mean, who's going to lead the way if you don't, by your own behaviors, help to set the tone? No, yeah, great point. Excellent point because it's your job, it's your duty. And, you know, it's, whose it's job a- is tomorrow? Wait, yeah. I, I'm looking at all the people working on the factory line and I'm yeah. working. But whose job is tomorrow? It's yours. Yours, yeah. As as a leader, absolutely. And and I think that that's an important distinction between leading and managing, right? Leading is setting out a direction and a course of action and communicating that effectively and bringing out the best in your team or in your organization. It is not necessarily managing their day to day activities or even telling them how to solve the problem. It's identifying the problem that needs to be solved yeah. or our opportunity that has been identified, you know, to transform the business. You're, you're accountable for both, not yep. just one. Good. Okay. True, true, true point. So attribute number five in our leadership attributes. Okay. So Jake, what is that? Because I think you've you've kind of mentioned element. Mm, it's it's what I love. Yeah. It's, it's all about culture and rewards. Look, at the end of the day, culture can kill any change effort in a, in a company attempting to stay relevant, okay? And you've got to be, uh, you have to first understand that, and then you have to make it work for you. And so small examples of that. You know, when I go in and I'm working with firms and they go, hey, we're committed, we're changing the way we're going to market, and we're going, and I go, really? Okay, show me your metrics across your operation, right? And then I'll also say, oh, and while you're at it, you mind show me how you reward the leaders of the individual various functions? Because what that does for me is it allows me to quickly bring and crash land the plane and say whether any effort whatsoever has a chance in hell of being successful. And so I will immediately start picking at their level and willingness to adjust those metrics and rewards. Because what I've found is, you know, and I can give you, I mean, hundreds of examples. So, So let's go factory floor and work our way all the way up, right? I've got a factory, great operation, decent reliability. In fact, it's known as one of our benchmark plants, right? Oh, funny. All they're accountable for is actually making stuff uh, mm-hmm. to the match. But yet there's nowhere in there where level of yield for what they do is part of what the plant managers measured on. Hmm. But then when I look and say, well, I'm sure they care about end to end. Well, no, because if they put it at the dock, and they need to hold it. It's okay if it gets to the, you know, customer, it's late. Uh, oh, well, hey, that's great. Yeah. Then I go, hey, well, what your quality organization? You know, you've got a lot of touch points, a lot of uh, consumer direct stuff. Well, how do you measure the QA organization? Oh, mm-hmm. parts for me and defects off of the production line. Oh, really? Okay. So there's no connection to like 
rejects and packaging errors and all that stuff at the consumer touch point? Really? Okay. Okay. Then I get into, well, how are you paying folks to do work? Well, there's, there's no connection in any compensation package to what I call pay at risk or out, outcomes, not my little piece of the pie, but outcomes. Right. Right. So I go, mm, guys, let's step back and have an adult discussion yep. about whether you're all in on transformation. Now, those are healthy discussions. Those, again, culture is very important in companies and how they operate. So then I, I try and go through and do what I call a crawl, walk, run methodology with them where I go, hey, ultimately, you really should end up in a place where, hey, key managers are rewarded based on outcomes, yep. market-based outcomes that are critical, right? It set, sets a tone, sets a message about how they're going to run the operation and what they make sure everyone really does. But you're not ready for that yet. So how about we start with just making them accountable for a metric that is more holistic than their little piece of the operation, right? So you can work your way through it and deal with it. But again, I, I refer to it as culture and rewards because if you blindly don't look at that, your chance of success is poor. Absolutely. And I'm a big believer in what gets measured gets done, but making sure that those measurements are tied to the desired outcome, to the big picture, right? So that they've that everybody has got some skin in the game in what they're looking at and not just metrics that are, you know, blinders or just their their step in the process. So I think both are critically, critically important. And you know, and necessary. I do think culture is is difficult. It, it, it is, but I want, and I'm going to turn back, and I'm going to put the heat back up in Scott's quadrant of the the okay. thing. So Scott, the flame just got turned up on you, pal. <laughs> Woo! Got all that expertise to bring to bear here. Okay. Hey, Scott. Wait a minute. There have been these wonderful books, and God, mm -hmm. I am a Peter Drucker, you know, fanatic. Okay, I consumed it all. I learned it early, but. You know, turning the words on the page into tangible things, right? These little small things. By the way, you can't run away from that when your metric is holistic. You can't run away with that from that when, oh, part of my pay is at risk based on overall performance. So you, you get you get the words to come alive by getting skin in the game. Scott? Yeah, well, I think a big part of that skin in the game is creating the trust, and and creating the trust touches on so many different things you've you've walked through through all five attributes. But I would argue that, as we all know, it's tough to really do any any of that in a successful, meaningful way. Any of those five attributes, if you don't have the trust of your people, your teams, your business partners, your colleagues, and to some extent, or maybe to a larger extent, the market. Right? If if, if the market doesn't trust your product, your service your voice, uh, your perspective, then it's all going to be uh, next to impossible. But this is the discussion of leadership. There's so many different elements that we could, we could spend hours on Jake that you've shared with our audience. And, and I really appreciate your been there, done that. And here's some stories. And, and I've got t-shirts probably in my closet over here from all of them. And that really, for me, that's what is so missing. And we'll be careful here in this digital content world. Of, of course, we're big, big participants in 
Yep. There's so much noise because it's e it can be easy to tweet. It can be easy to, to share something social. But I love folks that really are sharing that perspective that roll been up the there. sleeves. Yeah, it's been there and done it. And it's not just because it's a great quote or soundbite, but there's a lot of meaning. There's a lot of authenticity behind it. And that's what makes these conversations, uh, regardless of where you get them, uh, so important. So it just so happens we've got, you know, a couple hundred of our favorite friends that are that are sharing at the same time. And and uh, maybe we'll find some one one big kitchen table when we get through all of this. To, to have some adult beverages and and burger or hot dog and really have a fun conversation around leadership. But Jake, this, you've really set the standard in many ways here today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, he, he stimulated as many conversations in the mix as, as we expected, Scott, when we, we invited him to join us today. I want to run through those You didn't bleep out anything that I know of. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk through those five one more time. So number one was, was a compelling business need, right? And and communicating that effectively across the business. Two was an outside in thinking. Make sure that you're not only looking at your business from the outside in, but that you look outside your business for inspiration from other industries and other businesses as well. And I think Jake even encouraged us to steal some of those innovative ideas and apply them to our business and our opportunities. So I love that. A willingness to experiment and fail. Do not be fearful of failure. And then an ability to define agility and what it means to your business, agility and what that means to your business. And then finally, this culture aspect and tying metrics and measurements and accountability to not just your function in the organization, but the outcome that the organization as a whole or the business as a whole is looking to achieve. So Jake Barr, that is quite a list. That's quite um, a mouthful. Quite a mouthful. And it, it's not something you just read and snap your fingers and make happen. It's got to be lived out. Jake, what do you think is, of those five, what do you think is the hardest to achieve? I'm going to spin it a different way. Respectfully, I believe if you're a good leader, trying to be a great leader, and you embrace those pieces. I'm going to give you the picture of a lifeboat drill, right? Guess what? We're in the midst of a horrible pandemic at the moment, right? But it's not the only business crisis that we faced. And I want you to think and reflect for a moment. If you're a leader, if someone puts out the call that the ship is sinking, okay? And you say, everyone in the boat, how many people answer? How many people do it? So my spin for you is to say, if not these five things, then why does anyone get in the boat with you? That's a great point. That's a great point. Scott, your thoughts? Oh, there's too many. I think, Jake, I really appreciate your, you know, few people exceed their reputation. You've done that here today, and that was already oh. tough to do. So I really appreciate how what you've shared in a very practical, informative and open and transparent manner, which, of course, is one of your big themes in the five. So really uh, love it. We have to have them back. The leadership is one of these discussions. We need to have some of our community members uh, have just a frank conversation. We talk a lot more about failure and some lessons learned there. But, Jake, we'd be remiss. Life is too short for crap, right? (laughs) I, I, I I mean that sincerely, okay? It, you are you you would be amazed you walk into any organization 
And the reality is people just simply want to hear their boss, their leader, mm-hmm. be transparent and open with them. In many cases, they'll follow them anywhere if they can just be human first, right? And then embrace some of these attributes of that helps to rally the power and the spirit of the entire workforce. You know, we don't we don't accomplish anything alone. No leader does. It's because of the groundswell of people actually being able to get it and connect to it. Completely agree. It's all, it's always been a team game, always been a team game. There's, and there's lots of analogies making the rounds in, in recent days about, you know, the, the quarterback analogy, especially on the heels of, sorry, Greg, I know he's a resident NC Chiefs fan, but we had two great, <laughs> we've got two great studies in leadership from both of those quarterbacks. One just happened to have been, been in the game a little bit longer than the other, but the other is, is going to do continue, keep doing big things. But Jake, we'd be remiss. We want to make sure as much as I hate to, wind this thing down. Let's make sure folks know how to connect with you. And I know you do keynotes and, and clearly you're, you're making, uh, helping a lot of organizations tackle all this change, but how can folks connect with you? I encourage, look, I, I have long been a proponent of you build a village with thousands of people, not by yourself. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got to be willing to give back. So I'm happy to do that. So please reach out across LinkedIn if you want to connect or talk further. I apologize if I can't get back to you rapidly, but I'll do my best. Outstanding. Corinne? Well, I want to say thank you, Jake, for being with us today, for stimulating a great discussion. I want to remind everybody that leadership happens at every role of the company, every role that you serve in. And it's not a title. It's a way you conduct yourself and you help prioritize the work to be done and the outcomes that are achieved. So I want to challenge each and every one of us to apply these five character attributes to how we show up every day and think about how we make life a little better for others, how we make our company a little more profitable, how we serve our customers better in the mix as well. Hmm. So Scott, I know you've you've got a few things we want to make sure our community is aware of, but Jake, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Thanks, Jake. Be safe. Alrighty, thank you so much. Thank you.